0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Be a leader in loss prevention by implementing integrated solutions that enhance safety, reduce shrink, and help to improve merchandising, operations, and customer service. Bosch integrated security and communication solutions span zones one through four in the LPRC's zones of influence, while enriching the customer experience and delivering valuable data to help increase retail profitability. Learn more by visiting Bosch online at boschsecurity.com.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast. This is the latest in our weekly update series, joined by our producer Diego Rodriguez, um, our my co partners in crime here, if you will, Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Meehan, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on around the world. Um, be coming here out of our, in the United States, our Memorial Day weekend, we're here on a Tuesday morning at 8.30 uh, a.m., and uh, you know, just a little bit about the, the vaccines and the pandemic as we're trying to deal uh, nationally and internationally um, with safety and commerce uh, and what's up there um, you know, new variants, combinations of variants uh, variants going on, and that's creating a lot of turbulence and issues and concerns by, you know, as we all know, local and state and federal or national governments. Uh, China is now reporting a, a new strain or variant over there, a combination of UK and India and so on. And um, so we see more of these going on uh, as they do real time genomic, uh, you know, uh, analysis on the strains that they're seeing out there uh, across the world and and within different countries, but it's creating an issue. I think on the, um, you know, the genesis, we're all hearing, of course, in the news, what we heard uh, and through uh, mid to late 2020 from uh, the the prior administration that their intel and anecdote uh, were indicating the sources uh, of the virus were that there's data supporting different scenarios um, the area where the bats are is quite a distance from Wuhan. Um, and so, but there was not a lot of evidently early, uh, any reporting of any transmission or infection between where the bat population is in the Wuhan area. Um, but, but yet the breakout came out of Wuhan. And then coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, that's where the, one of the world's leading uh, viral research areas is, is in Wuhan, China, and the leading, I understand, coronavirus um, research facility in the world is in Wuhan, as we all know, um, and that there could have been uh, escape, uh, most likely unintentional, since this is not uncommon, evidently, um, according to these sources we hear and read. Um, so, uh, but the by and large, um, the media wasn't reporting or wasn't taking seriously those reports um, uh, or negatively reporting them. Now, maybe there's further evidence or there's a reexamination of the evidence that the prior administration was uh, putting out there. Um, and I saw today that the United Kingdom, the UK intelligence community is now publicly, uh, saying that they do have some evidence, but I don't know that anybody's got anything even close to conclusive as to the origin of the transmission from animal to human of this particular COVID-19, um, scars, COVID-2 virus, um, so all of us of course are staying tuned and i think the main reason that it's not just the intrigue and interest and the back and forth and uh and so on of this but rather what are the implications for um getting ahead of these types of pandemics of course uh in the future so that we don't have to keep going through the type of situation so uh stay tuned on that uh, you know some pretty good news on the vaccination front and you know and i've listened a lot and read a lot around uh the role of vaccines and human health and why the lifespan has continued to grow in most countries and so on the role that vaccines play is um incredibly large in that and so the same here and that the idea that these mrna vaccines that are the moderna and pfizer um uh, biointech versions for example uh while the technologies as we've talked about before is still 15 20 maybe 30 years old um and rigorously tested in multiple phase one two and three trials around the world and now of course you know uh, half a billion plus uh are fully vaccinated with it so um around the world looks like so that they are it's one of the most safe it's probably the safest vaccine or one of them in history because it doesn't actually in, uh, contain any type of virus in it um and it doesn't go inside of anybody's dna or their cells so um we'll have to stay tuned on how all that rolls but you know, globally, it looks like we're just about at 2 billion uh, people uh, have received at least one dose, if it's a two-dose, um, which is pretty incredible, 440-plus uh, million fully vaccinated around the world. The United States making incredible progress with 300 million uh, people, uh, or their doses have been put out there, let's put it that way, with uh, at least 135, 45 Million Americans, uh, overwhelmingly adults, of course, that have now been fully vaccinated, um, and again, the population is somewhere between 315, 330 million, um, uh, and again, overwhelmingly, the most vulnerable, if you will, have been vaccinated, so fully vaccinated, and for quite a while. Um, and we know again that all the or the major vaccine producers that have emergency use authorizations or full approval have been working on follow-up boosters in different forms should that be required or at least be suggested. Um, those again, that are standalone, those that are, could be in combined, with multiple, uh, flu vaccine, um, strain, uh, uh versions, you know, trivalent, quadrivalent and so forth. So there could be an easy annual for those that don't want to be home or be terribly ill from any of these viruses. Um, if, your, if yours is covered, the strains are covered. So, um, But pretty exciting, Uh, Malta reports uh, over 70% of their adults have received the first dose. Um, uh, So again, a small island, but it'll be very interesting to follow. Uh, Their infection rates continue to drop there almost to nothing. And um, so it's a good test of a fairly controlled environment to see uh, in a natural way the the high efficacy and high safety profiles of these uh, current vaccines. there are still 77, and they're continuing to emerge, vaccine candidates in preclinical phase at 92 uh, vaccine candidates in human clinical trials, one, two, or three trials. Um, 51 are recorded right now in phase one, 36 uh, different vaccine candidates that are being tested in human trials phase two, um, and 28 right now are registered in phase three. Trials um, again. Seven uh, vaccines have mercy use authorization. These include the Pfizer and Moderna, for example, or AstraZeneca or J and J Janssen, um, and then eight around the world do have uh, official approval. We know Pfizer at least has filed for official. Not sure uh, the status on others. So stand by. Uh, a wave of more vaccine candidates are continue to come out again with different technologies and use profiles and. Um, uh, you know, different types of, uh, rather than injection, there's different types of uh, ways with pills and patches and nasal mists and things like that, ways to apply it. Um, so, you know, good news on that front. Uh, we saw in uh, the therapy front more and more that are continuing to go through preclinical and phase one, two, and three human or clinical trials. Uh, Israel just came out with a preliminary, kind of a phase one, 10, 10. Subjects with this, uh, uh, where they have activated a natural substance in the human, in us, and uh, ten of ten with very, very serious uh, lung uh, ailments from COVID um, pneumonia and so on that were that could have been fatal. Um, that within one day of the application of the therapy, they were uh, released from the hospital. So um, we'll see. No, because it's so natural in the way that they've activated this uh therapy sounds very very promising on top of so many others because again some can't take a vaccine and uh others uh may take it but they you know it escapes because again they're maybe in that five, and fifteen percent that the vaccine just didn't cover in that case um, so good news on those fronts uh still crazy on the travel front um as we talked about before lprc um there's a group of european particularly led by the uk um that want lprc there uh, we've had a series of calls tony could talk about it later if you'd like now or as we go forward anyway um, and so we're in heavy planning for uh, a uk a london area event and a series of meetings and so forth around lprc for july time frame but with the travel restrictions quarantine uh and things like that it's gonna make it very very difficult Today, uh, being Tuesday, we've got our annual LPRC Violent Crime Summit going on Um, today at nine. Of course, when you hear this, it'll have been long gone, but it will be recorded um, so we can learn more details there. So I'm going to turn it over to Tony D'Onofrio. And Tony, if you can take it away.
2: Thank you very much, Reed, and a pleasure to be with you uh, today. I am going to go around the world and I'm going to start actually with... um, who do we trust when we go shopping for advice? Uh, and this is actually some new research from uh, that was published in Infographic Journal. So how often do we ask friends and um, for advice in terms of new products and services? That percentage is actually pretty high. It's uh, 49% of the time. What do we tend to ask for advice more frequently, uh, products or services? I kind of guessed services, and I was correct. Actually, 68% of us to ask for advice on services from friends and 32% uh, in terms of products. Do we trust a celebrity or an expert who we've never met or do we trust a friend for advice was one of the question. What 85% listen to friends, 15% listen to a celebrity or expert they've never met. So it's a very low percentage which tells you all this social media. What does it really get you? How likely is it for us to buy online if the product or service was reviewed by a friend? So a friend actually provided review. And this one was surprising. 71% of us uh, would buy that product if it was uh, very likely or likely recommended by a friend and they actually reviewed it online. And the top five categories that people want advice from are electronics and household appliances, health and beauty products, cars of transportation, food and drinks and medical and personal care. So that's interesting in terms of who do we trust when we go shopping. Switching to a more somber topic, which weapons are most commonly used in the United States for homicides? So the FBI the FBI recently released a, a study that analyzed 13,922 homicides from 2019 and basically 74% of all those homicides were with firearms. Nearly 46% were handguns, 24% were some type of unknown firearm. Shotguns were a small 1.4% Rifles, 3%. After firearms, it was knife and cutting instruments at 11%. And just uh, over uh, 11% used some other weapons, and then finally 4% use their hands and feet. So it gives you an idea of how people, uh, homicides take place in the United States. Switching uh, to a lighter topic, uh, there was again, a new study that was just published in chain storage in terms of uh, the resilience of brick and mortar stores and how much do we like brick and mortar stores. This was a YouGov study that was published in chain storage. And it basically said that Brick and mortar uh, continues to be the go-to method for 78% for purchasing everyday essential items, such as food and drinks, toiletries, and more. Conversely, online retail channels are the preferred um, channel for discretionary items such as shoes, clothing, and electronics. The percentage for these online categories is 72%. This this study found, and these are important for uh, folks that have physical stores, the top reasons for shopping in brick and mortar stores include physically experiencing the product, 62%, the ability to try on things, 53%, and this one was interesting, speed of purchase, 45%. Additional findings were that globally, women have much stronger online retail purchase behavior versus men for a variety of essential and discretionary product categories. Importantly, the biggest differences show up among the most unpenetrated categories online, which are personal care, clothing and cosmetics, 41% for females versus 21% of males. Delivery charges and the inability to physically experience products ranked highest in terms of online purchasing barriers at 46 percent. While we many, while we see convenience as a benefit uh, for, for limiting uh, trips to the store, there are times that delivery times take too long and we tend to then focus on other ways to actually go shopping. And finally, the last topic that I want to cover today is what's happening with RFID. I haven't talked about this topic and where are we in terms of RFID and actually very pleasant surprising seeing this latest research from Accenture. North America now leads the world in RFID adoption, which in 2020 was an amazing 93%. Adoption in North America is broken down with the 7% piloting, 37% in the middle of implementation and 47% fully deployed. Asia-Pacific adoption is at 77% with 6% piloting, 25% implementing, and 47% in full adoption. Europe, our FID adoption is also at 77% with 8% piloting, 37% implementing, and 32% in full adoption. So as you can see, full deployment are really much heavier in both North America and Asia wider in Europe. Interesting for North America, full adoption in 2018 was at 28% and it jumped to 47% of retailers having deployed uh, in 2020. During the pandemic, retailers across geographies have used RFID to enhance omni-channel operations. In the past two years, the number of omni-channel capabilities that retailers offers have increased significantly with 66% of retail adopters and piloters now offering five or more of the services that I've been talking about, including buy online, pick up and store, ship from store, ship to store, reserve in store, mobile app purchasing, and deliver to home, compared to just 39% of non RFID adapters and 22% of adopters and piloters in 2018. Due to the higher adoption, expanded use cases, and increased omni-channel enabling, the return on investment is also getting better. Retailers that have fully adopted RFID are reporting more than 10% uh, ROI compared to 9.2% in 2018. When retailers layer the use cases specifically, that were those enabled uh, or more omni-channel, they are seeing 20% higher. ROI the research also showed a link between RFID maturity in adoption and the level of the return on investment so in north america and asia pacific which again had the higher adoption rates the return on investment was an amazing 72 17 to 20 17 to 22% higher ROI compared to europe where it's not as mature and then finally the study also found that retailers that have engaged with suppliers on source tagging are seeing a higher ROI, 16% higher than those that have not. Full adopters have RFID have all moved to source tagging and overall 45% of retailers say they are engaging with their suppliers on source tagging. What's next for RFID? For apparel, they're moving on to blockchain, they're moving on to supply chain and analytics. They're moving to using RFID for self checkout, and they're moving to improving engagement with smarter technology. For hardline, it's again blockchain leads. It's also focusing on omnichannel. And interesting, grocers are jumping in much more aggressively. 45% to re- in, uh, are thinking about using RFID for reducing stockouts, 36% for inclu- improving customer engagements with smarter technology. And uh, RFID did have an impact during the pandemic with 46% of respondents indicating that they focused on it much more aggressively in in recent months and an additional 26% indicating it it is currently under consideration because of the pandemic. RFID interest is emerging across segments where now 56% of grocers now focusing on the technology. So uh, what it, this tells you that RFID is here to stay and it's going to continue to accelerate. So that's interesting to me. And again, this is another one of those technology where we should engage the LPRC for both those green and red shop to see how to optimize that technology to science-based research. And with that,
3: let me turn it over to Tom. Well, thank you, uh, Tony. That was some great information. Let me just uh, do a quick recap on the Colonial Pipeline attack. I know I spoke about this a couple times, a couple weeks in a row. Although the gas prices have increased dramatically throughout the U.S., it isn't uh, directly correlated to the attack. The attack took place and basically took down uh, the Colonial Pipeline, which supplies about half of the gasoline and diesel fuel to the East Coast for about five days uh, and it was a ransomware attack that, you know, $4.4 million basically was paid on a rant uh, back to the folks that took it over. There's one, there's one thing that really occurred, which is a, a good news here, is the White House and the Biden administration launched a 100-day plan to upgrade the power grid, cybersecurity, through a series of voluntary initiatives. Uh, basically, what they did is they went out and created a framework for public and private partnership around emerging threats and security vulnerabilities. Um, So several high-profile cyber attacks have occurred recently, and this really prompted the White House and the administration to take the approach of, um, as opposed to forced legislation, this kind of private partnership uh, working together. And what we expect is outdated grid technology um, to decrease. Uh, there is still a tremendous amount of utility within the United States that is extremely outdated. Um, and it is partially a, a due to the fact that a lot of these systems were written in cobalt and there are there is a lack of cobalt programmers. So there are a lot of folks that are retirement age that would have been writing this language. So this is, you know, that mainframe green screen piece. So there is a huge initiative here to reduce those vulnerabilities and potentially helps um, stem off an attack in the future. Well, I'd like to point out that this was a ransomware attack, so a lot of these vulnerabilities really don't have necessarily um, the same correlation to a ransomware attack, where a ransomware attack generally has a human element in it, but nevertheless, there is still a huge uh, exposure for us in the United States with, within the utility piece. So the U.S. federal government is going to help really drive an education and awareness program, as well as best demonstrated practices. Um, and there is some talk about kind of a threat, uh, a threat assessment tool that'll be provided. So more to come on that. The this is a good example of you know what was an unfortunate event uh, turned out to turn into something that needed to happen. And switching gears, and this just talks about kind of the the this is a little bit off topic for what we need to normally speak about, but this kind of just talks about the importance of securing your digital information. So nuclear flashcards. So there is uh, is what, what you'll, if you're reading anything around cybersecurity, the, so there are U S secrets exposed on a, a learning app. So, uh, the United States government, uh, and actually some allied nations have training, uh, related to fighter jets and, um, Unfortunately, in in Europe, there was an educational website that created flashcards and it actually exposed the exact location of top secret um, uh, nuclear weapons and security protocols. So when we think about the listeners of this podcast and how we're hyper-digitized, right, today we're digitizing every document, everything we have, and we're also consistently trying to train people the importance of safeguarding that information. So when you think about – You know, when you think about this, uh, this level of detail, there was actually a learning app to, um, with some information that was readily available on the web. It was digitized, um, and uh, for all intents and purposes, was a mistake. Right, that that led to this. So, just a really good stark reminder to make sure that we are staying on top of. You know, all the things that we need to when it comes to digitization and the evolution of digitization. Um, it's really it's really a, a wild kind of thought process to go through. Uh, and then just really wanted to talk about two other things in the cybersecurity space. Actually, one is we continue to see... Um, Ransomware that's specifically designed to attack to attack unpatched Microsoft Exchange servers. You know, in today's day and age, there aren't as many physical Exchange servers. There's a lot of cloud-based things, but there's still roughly about seventeen thousand that are out and about that uh, you know are not patched and there there's ransomware specifically targeting this right now it is a it is a major challenge or major concern about Microsoft exchange so simple rule here is if you have Uh, software, hardware out there that you can patch it. And this is both personal and professional. You know, when you see that update for your iPhone or your Android smartphone or your desktop computer, it's one of the quickest, easiest ways to protect yourself against known vulnerabilities. And I, I talk about it all of the time. Um... And I, I just can't stress enough the importance of upgrading. And then lastly, but certainly not least, uh, just a, a, an update on the fusion net. If you don't know what the FusionNet is, it's the Loss Prevention Research Council's um, way to collaborate and share information rel- related to events that are occurring throughout the United States and throughout the world, whether it be civil disturbance, weather events, um, or any other event that could impact it. Uh, there. If you want to find out more about it, please contact us. We continue to see information about pockets of civil dis- disturbance throughout the United States. Um, there's a weekly call that I, I would invite anybody who's listening to the podcast to come to. You can reach out to myself, Reed, uh, Corey Lowe, or Tony, or any really at the uh, Lost Prevention Research Council to find out more. But if you're not involved in the fusion net and you're in a capacity that has to do with threat assessment or active intelligence, I'd highly recommend it. And with that, I'll turn it back over to Reed.
1: Sounds good. So, thank you so much, Tom and uh, Tony, for a lot of great information today. Um, and I want to again put out there to everybody: you know, stay safe, stay connected. Uh, with the violent crime summit, by the way, you know, the heavy coverage on active assailant, active killer shooter uh, scenarios, training. Um, LPRC is working away uh, with some outside entities um, of different types to work on. Uh, some simulation, um, tabletop, um, and some other deep dives into this uh, horrific but all too real topic. And I think many of us saw that uh, that this weekend, uh, federal and state and local agencies in Texas arrested a young man who was uh, evidently planning uh, an active killer scenario at a local Walmart. Um, and again, these things are so mixed and unclear. He had uh, Saudi Uh, Middle Eastern uh, propaganda and material, as well as uh, white supremacist type material and so on. But the idea is that the agencies were able to get tip-offs to leverage uh, postings and things like this, intel sources, um, and make a very sound arrest to save lives. Um, So I think, as we all know, we want to get a left a bang, get ahead of these horrific events as much as possible. And that's where we're working with others to do the same to support uh, you all out there. So stay safe, stay in touch. Thank you, Diego uh, Rodriguez, our producer um, from LPRCLPresearch.org. We're signing off.
0: Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at LPResearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Law Prevention Research Council.